0: Until then, we hope this message leads you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. I love, I have my own memories of teen camp growing up, and I know what God did in my heart and in my life during those years, and I know how foundational it is to my walk with the Lord for the rest of my life. Those were shaping weeks, and so I'm thankful um, for teenagers who want to go to camp, and I'm thankful for a church who invests in teenagers to help them get to where they need to be. Um, and so it's amazing. And so I'm going to piggyback on that just for a minute—a little bit of a shameless plug. Next summer's NYC. Our teens need to raise $1,800 each to go to camp or to go to NYC next summer. Um, we are fundraising, we are going to continue fundraising over the next year, but my goal is to help them with as much of that as we can through their fundraising opportunities that they have. They're going to write support letters here soon. Um, but. Again, it's a foundational opportunity for them. It's one of those weeks that they will talk about for the rest of their life of what God has done through them and in them um, as a part of that experience. And so uh, if you're interested in helping a teen, maybe you want to hire them. Maybe you have work at your house and say, hey, I'll hire a teen to come do this at my house. They would love to come do work. They, they haven't even told me that yet, but I know that they would love to come do work for you um, and raise some funds to go to NYC. But seriously, though, um, I'm so thankful for a church that believes in our children and our teenagers um, and believes in not what he said, not who they're going to be, but who they are right now. Um, so this morning, I love that they were talking about, um, you know, this week was about me seeing others. Hmm. Our, the- our, our theme for the next, uh, our series that we're in right now is x-ray vision and seeing things the way that God does, having God's vision for things. And um, when there's the, good, the story of the Good Samaritan, uh, when Jesus is asked which commandment is the most important, in Mark twelve twenty nine through 31, he replies, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment that is greater than these. So there's this expert in the religious, um, the community that he, he kind of wants to test Jesus and ask him the question. He says, who is my neighbor? And he, um, Jesus answered him, and the way that he answered him is our, our text for this morning, but we're going to read our text a little bit differently than we normally do here, okay? So if you're with us online, this is going to be a little different, but I'm going to ask everybody to participate, kids and all, right? I need everybody to close your eyes. And you're all like, what in the world is she doing? Okay, close your eyes with me. We're going to step into the story of the Good Samaritan this morning, right? You are going to be um, the person who got beat up on the side of the road. You're the Jewish man or Jewish woman, right? You're traveling from Jerusalem. You're heading down to Jericho. So you're on a dirt road. Your, your feet are dirty. You're in your sandals and your, your robe. You're all in robes. Okay, you're walking down the, the road. And you get attacked by two bandits on that road. They take all your clothes, they beat you up, and they leave you for half dead right there on the side of that dirt road on the way to Jericho. Now, a pastor or a priest comes along, and you can barely see them through your swollen eyes, and the pastor sees you lying there, and just when you think that they're going to stop and help you, you notice that they cross to the other side of the street to get away from you. So there you lay on the side of the road. You're beaten up. You're bruised. You're battered. And along comes um, an assistant, a temple assistant. And again, you see them through your bruised eyes, and you see them coming, and you hope that they're going to stop. But what do they do? They cross to the other side of the road, just like the priest to avoid you. You're struggling to breathe now. Suddenly you notice someone else comes upon you, but then you realize it's a Samaritan. You despise Samaritans. You don't interact with them. They really don't interact with you. But this despised man who you normally avoid has compassion on you. He comes over to you This Samaritan, you don't even like to say the word, he soothes your wounds with olive oil and wine. That's what was used at the time to help heal wounds. And he bandages your wounds for you. But that Samaritan doesn't just leave you laying in the dirt road. He puts you on his donkey and he takes you to an inn where he continues to care for you. after he's cared for you for a little bit, he gives the innkeeper money and he says, tell him, he says, continue to care for him. And if the bill goes any higher, I'll come back and I'll pay you more money the next time I'm in the area. You lay there in the care of the innkeeper and all of the expense has been paid by a Samaritan. Okay, open your eyes with me. You don't have to answer this out loud, but who did you picture? Who was the priest in your mind that passed you by? Who, is, who, who was the assistant that passed you by? And maybe, maybe you were just picturing an image and not a face to a person, but who was the Samaritan, your enemy, that stopped to help you? How did you feel knowing that your enemy was the one that stopped to help you when your own kind wouldn't? Which one of those was better, a better neighbor to you? Was it the priest? No. Was it the temple assistant? No. In that moment, who was it? Was your enemy? The Samaritan. I want you to hear me say this, first of all, is that Jesus never passes you by. He always sees you and he will stop for you every time. And then just like the one who shows you mercy in that story, right? You're the Samaritan you're, or you're the, the Jewish man laying on the ground or Jewish woman. And the one that shows you mercy, just like that one, Jesus says, you're supposed to love others just like that. So my question for you to think about this morning is, who are your neighbors? Who are the ones that um, you need to stop for on the side of the road? A neighbor is a person or place in relation to others near or next to it. It is any person in need of one's help or kindness. Can you think of anybody like that in your life? Anyone in your life in need of help or kindness? Next door to where you live, people in need of help or kindness. How about in the cubicle next to you at work? The desk next to yours at school, students. The table next to yours in colleges, my college students. Um, Maybe it's the cashier at the store. Maybe it's the waitress at the restaurant or the really loud family next to you at the restaurant. A neighbor can be someone on the side of the road asking for help while you sit in your air-conditioned car on your way to your next location. But do we always see them as our neighbors? If we put the term neighbor on everyone, and we are supposed to, we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. If we put the term neighbor on everyone, suddenly we have to look around us a little bit differently than I think we do sometimes. The greatest commandment that we're given by Jesus is love these people, love our neighbors. Um, How many of you would agree with me that our neighbors come in all different um, colors and all different sizes and all different personalities and all different noise levels and all different smells? Come on, how many of you say neighbors are different? Right? And probably some neighbors standing around saying, my neighbors are different, talking about us. But the reality is we have different neighbors. Every place Jeremy and I have ever lived... One of our favorite things to do is get to know our neighbors. In fact, we were just telling someone this story this week um, about we moved into a neighborhood in Michigan. It was our last place that we lived when, before we moved down here. And we moved into that neighborhood. And when we moved in, we had a map of all the houses. We like, lived on a, like you pulled into the street, and it was kind of like a circle, like three streets that made a circle. So there's only one way in or out. And we made it our goal to learn the names of every neighbor In those 45 houses. And so when we would meet a neighbor, we would come home and write the name on the map so that we could begin to use the names of our neighbors because we wanted to build relationships with them. But I loved one time we were meeting a neighbor and I said, hey, um, we're the salvages. We live over at uh, 5120 Bridal. And they're like, oh yeah, we've met your sons. And we were like, what? And they said, oh yeah, they came and introduced, introduced themselves to us already and said, you guys will help if we ever need anything. And I was like, yes. Like, they were beating us to neighbors to introduce themselves. Um, but they endeared themselves to the neighbors because they would just go out and talk to people. That neighborhood became, it was like the nighttime parade. When, it cooled, when the temperature cooled down, which didn't take much in Michigan because it doesn't know how to cool down here, um, it would cool down and it was like all of a sudden the parade happened and everyone was out walking that loop. So we, if we ever wanted to walk for exercise, we had to walk at a different time because we couldn't get exercise, because you you'd stop every like 20 feet at the next house and talk to a neighbor. But I loved the community that was built there. We were all very, very different. We all had different religions. We had different personalities. We had different interests. But on that circle, we were just neighbors. We were just in the hood together. And we loved it. I'm a little jealous. Reagan's in Michigan this week, and she's getting to go back and visit the neighborhood. That was our people. What if we all look at our neighbors that way? Some of you, I know you do, because I hear your stories of the ways that you connect with your neighbors. I love that. I love to hear those stories. So loving our neighbors, it might come easier for some of us than others, right? Sometimes your neighbors just do something that drives you nuts. We have had those kinds of neighbors. And sometimes it means you choose to overlook something that a neighbor does. Because ultimately, what does God call us to do? Love our neighbor. I want to share with you the story this morning of Joan. Um, I was, as I was prepping for this and looking at uh, the story of the Good Samaritan, Joan sums up, um, I think, even in my own life, some of my own struggles with people who are my neighbor. This is what Joan says. I've struggled to continually see others through God's eyes. Even after more than 45 years of Christian life, I still need to return over and over again to God's eternal gospel truths. He has been teaching me to put aside my own perceptions and to help others to do so. And I have much more to learn. For instance, several months back, I met Joan at a church potluck dinner. I immediately noticed her prosthetic leg, her serious speech impediment, and a certain lack of personal hygiene, which hinted at the daily challenges that she faced. After supper, encouraged by our group's warm reception and compassionate listening, she shared that she felt alone and rejected for most of her life. She doubted God's love for her and could not understand why he was allowing so much suffering in her life. As she spoke, I felt God nudging me to join, ask her to join our home group. But honestly, I was afraid to do so. We had invited needy people into our home group in the past, only to see it become painfully unhealthy. Would that happen again? Would she dominate every discussion as she had on the one tonight? Would we soon tire of her and treat her less and less lovingly and compassionately? I threw those questions out at God in quick succession, a little bit panicked. I feared that her doubt and discouragement would become contagious and drag us all down. Our group was in such a healthy, enjoyable, relaxing state right now, and I didn't want anything to mess that up. God responded by speaking to my heart with that quiet, gentle voice of his, Trust me, beloved child, and obey no matter how you feel. I knew him well enough by now to know that even if the road ahead might be harder than I'd like, he would make good come of it. So I went ahead and I invited her, though part of me didn't want to. Joan's response to my invitation left, left me speechless. Really? You want me to be a part of your group? Thank you for so much for allowing me to come. At that moment, all fear and hesitation evaporated, replaced by love and compassion. I was no longer focused on me. I was focused now on her and what God wanted to do. Over time, I discovered that her commitment or her comment was linked to a lot of past rejection and loneliness and sorrow. This is probably why God introduced her to me. Although my life story is very different from hers, we journey well together because her struggles are similar to some of mine. During our home group meetings, Joan would periodically share returning doubts concerning God's existence, his total forgiveness, and her access to heaven. Having gone through a deep period of doubt, guilt, and shame myself years before, I knew just how tenacious and pervasive such feelings could be. When Joan phoned me asking for prayer because she was entertaining suicidal thoughts, I helped her express all her fear, her discouragement, and her pain to Jesus, just as I had learned to do in my own times of depression. When she phoned asking for prayer because she was finding it impossible to forgive someone, I helped her express her anger, her frustration, and her grief to God. Then together we would thank God for his gift of his spirit and invite him to love everyone around us supernaturally. By coming alongside of her and praying together for these and other situations, I thought I was doing a great job seeing her through God's eyes. However, I realized that there was one major area of who she was in Christ that I had neglected to even notice until we went to a nearby fast food restaurant one day. When we entered, nearly half of the people greeted Joan by name. That's when I finally saw it clearly, Joan's amazing gift. Her fearless friendliness allowed her to create a broad network of friends she kept in touch with regularly. I only realized then how God had been using that gift all along to draw every member of our home group closer. She had been keeping in touch with each one of us during the week and gracefully accepting the help that we offered her. I also realized I had never taken time with her. I wouldn't have taken time with her if she had not been continually taking the initiative with me. Why was I only focused on what I could offer her? Why had I not focused on all that she was offering me and others? As I drove Joan home that night, I pointed out to her just how precious her God-given gift was. Joan had never realized that God was using her in that way. When I first met Joan all those months ago, I had no idea that she would become a treasured friend. Although it took me time to truly see her through God's eyes, Joan and I are giving one another the opportunity to see each other as we will be in eternity, fully delivered from all evil, restored to Christ's image, eternally his. We imagine ourselves dancing together, jumping and leaping and running with joy in his presence. All fear and pain and weakness are gone forever. I'm so glad that I listened to our father's voice that first day and took the time to know her. Thanks to Joan, I am continuing to grow in my ability to see myself and others through God's eyes. Friends, we can get so busy with our lives that we forget to stop and notice our neighbors around us. We can get so busy that we, take time, that we forget to take time to show them that we care. Sometimes we can be just afraid because we're not sure we're going to like the person. They look different from us, they act different from us, they believe different from us, they support things different than us, and it makes it hard for us to say, I'm supposed to love my neighbor the way Christ calls me to. So who's the Joan in your life? We normally have a time of discussion at the beginning of our service and we're gonna do it now, at the end. Well, not at the end, we're in the middle. But I want you to turn to your neighbors this morning And I want you to take a couple of minutes, and if you're not near a neighbor, find a neighbor. And I want you to take a couple of minutes and talk about who are the neighbors neighbors in your life. Remember I described all those neighbors. And I want you to talk about what are some ways that you guys, any age, kids included in this, teenagers included in this, who are your neighbors and how can you love on them this week, in these next seven days. Ready, go. Thank you for joining us today. We would love for you to join us in person. Our address is 2022 East Main Street in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. If you'd like to make a donation to keep our podcast ministry going, you can do so online at reallifecommunity.org. Thanks again for listening.